0: One, two, one, two. Turn that music up a little. Shout out to Haley, Mark Thompson, you a fool for this one. Let me change my words. You a king for this one.
1: Welcome to another Make It Plain podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Glad to have you here with us. A very special guest with me who introduced herself at the Moral Congress, I believe it was, or was yeah. it the Poor People's, Poor People's Campaign? Campaign? Well, there mm-hmm. were there were two events yeah. that I was at recently. We cannot remember because <laughs> we both do so much ripping and running. If I, I, and if you waterboarded me, I couldn't tell you. But you 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 helped today. You at least we know it was in the poor people's category, yes. one recent poor people's event with Reverend Barbara, who tends to bring everyone together. Uh, she is the pastor of the Park Avenue Christian Church. Shall I hear that right? <laughs> the Reverend Kaji Dosha. How'd I do with my pronounce?
3: Perfectly. Thank you. How are you? I am well.
1: Good. Good yeah, to see you.
3: Blessed and favored.
1: Yeah. And, and obviously you are doing positive things because you're working with the Poor People's Campaign. Um, but the thing I really want to start with today in terms of talking with you is you have been put on a watch list, haven't you? I have. Tell us about that, if you would.
3: My ministry has taken me to my immigrant communities here in New York City where I co-chair the New Sanctuary Coalition, which is work I've done for about the past 10 years. Okay. And we, amongst many things, resist deportations very effectively. And when we learned that there were increasing numbers at the border, exceeding the capacities of the really hardworking organizations that were down there, we wanted to bring our faith-based model, which helps people to argue pro se for themselves throughout the very complex immigration system. And so we went down there and we set up pro se clinics for the migrants who were presenting in Tijuana we also went to minister to the humanitarian workers, the attorneys, the folks who are doing the hard work down there to let them know that the country is paying attention to what what they're experiencing, praying for them, caring for them. We went to the shelters, and we laid ha- hands on people who were seeking healing. We officiated for at least 17 marriage ceremonies for people who had been too poor to be married In church, and to receive that church blessing for the common law families that they had created. We were doing ministry. And on one of those trips, crossing the border, which I did countless times, Mm -hmm. I was detained and interrogated by my government. And later learned that that was part of a larger operation against people who have. Witnessed what's happening at the border and have spoken out against it. So journalists, there are fi- 59 of us, and they're credible journalists, you know, award-winning Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists, and and lawyers, and then this pastor. So that was how I learned that I was on this list of 59 called Operation Secure Line, which is being investigated, as I understand it, by Homeland Security investigations which is the criminal gang investigation unit of ICE. Mm. So, I'm being investigated by the same people who investigate the cartels and others.
1: So now you took this trip. When was this trip?
3: The one where I was interrogated was on July se- I'm sorry, January 2nd.
1: January 2nd. Mm-hmm. And you had made trips before.
3: Oh yeah. I used to be a pastor in San Diego.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. so this was nothing. Your your trip was nothing new, but this was the first time you found out you were on this list and, and being investigated.
3: Well, at the, at the day of the trip, I didn't know I was on the list. Right. But yes, that was the first time anything different or untowards had happened because, by the way, I had expedited screening. So I had passed all the many, of course, because I don't have a criminal background, I had passed all the many checks that they do in order to give you what they call global entry or century Mm -hmm. which is expedited border crossing
1: so who grants you that expedited screening who
3: the department of homeland security grants that
1: okay so i'm confused Mm -hmm. the department of homeland security granted you the screening but they're also somehow involved in
3: right well i got the screening a few years before they became aware of this piece of my ministry i think
1: Oh, mm-hmm. okay. So it's not okay. brand new. Okay. I've had it for a while. Okay, okay. So but but you think so is it is you believe your ministry and what it's currently doing is what has triggered.
3: It is very clear and they've even said that they surveil me, that they are aware of my ministry. I had a ICE officer, actually, I don't know if I should say who it was, but I do know who it was, say to me that we know your networks better than we do, better than you do. We know who you talk to. We know all about you. You're all over the Internet. So they've been surveilling me for quite some time. That was two years ago. Um, but I had never known that that would then turn into this level of retaliation for my ministry.
1: Surveilling you for what?
3: For my ministry with migrants. They want to know who they're dealing with. And I meet with ICE a lot. I go to talk to them to try to get people out of detention. I... Go and bond people out. Yeah, uh, you know, I go for ice check-ins for accompaniment and so forth. So they're well aware of my work. I don't know why. I don't know why they're doing. It. I could never speak for them, but I can say what they've told me.
1: But it seems what you're doing is pretty transparent. I mean, what oh, yeah. is there to surveil?
3: I have no idea. That's that's one of the questions of the lawsuit. Is that when we ask and we ask them to stop, nothing happens. So now we need to know what's the extent of the surveillance. My congregants need to know that because Mm -hmm. when people Mm -hmm. come to me, they're clearly counting on confidentiality. Confidentiality.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So at this moment, you don't even know the full extent of the surveillance. Absolutely not. Whether it's your phone, phone calls.
3: Wiretaps. I have no clue. I do know there's been vehicle surveillance outside, but that's the extent of it.
1: There's been vehicle surveillance oh, yeah. outside your home or the church?
3: Outside the church. Outside of Judson Church, where New Sanctuary is housed. Um,
1: and uh, New Sanctuary is the coalition mm-hmm. of, of faith groups, is it? hmm Tell us about that, if you would.
3: So New Sanctuary Coalition is this beautiful faith-based organization that seeks to give immigrants what they need to have a credible legal case in this complicated system. So we have a pro se clinic, and we also have an accompaniment program with thousands of volunteers who go for ICE check-ins, immigration court, and let the courts know that we as faith leaders and people of faith are witnessing what's happening and it makes a difference and judges have told us and we even have retired immigration judges who work at our clinic on tuesday because they believe in what we do and they say new sanctuary is what makes the difference in these cases Mm -hmm,
2: mm
1: -hmm. so where new sanctuary gathers you've noticed vehicle surveillance
3: absolutely yes frequently not frequently but we have seen it
1: so what are we talking about Uh, government looking on yeah. my cars
3: mm-hmm. with uh oh gosh I don't want to get this wrong but with plates uh that were government plates and um and I actually spoke to an ICE officer about it who admitted that it was the depart- that it was HSI Homeland Security Investigations that was outside
1: Is that right Mhm What on earth could they be looking for I mean you said that these are the same people that investigate the cartels Right What did they, what, in your wildest dreams, what do you think they could be thinking of that you're doing?
3: Well, the people who interrogated me asked me if we are coaching people to cross the border illegally and giving them the information they would need to be able to pass their credible fear interviews with lies. So they were accusing Mm. us of coaching people through the system or coaching them to subvert the system, sorry, by crossing illegally, which is categorically false. We do neither. Because most these people have their own stories, they have their own truths, and they probably all would pass the credible fear interview. And if they don't, we tell them. If we don't think they would, we actually share that. We say, sorry, we don't think you have the case. Here are your legal options, but we never, ever present illegal options.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so you filed suit. Mm-hmm. Where is that now?
3: We filed suit in the Southern District of California on Monday of last week.
1: Okay. So um, that would have been Monday the 5th. Is that is that the right day? No, not 5th. The 5th was on Friday. No, I think was it was Monday, like the, the 8th. Uh, the 8th, Monday the 8th. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, bad. Everything's running together. <laughs> That's why we couldn't remember where we saw each other before. Um, so Monday the 8th, you filed suit. So you, you, this is just in the very early stages. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the meantime, um, how how are you um, carrying out your daily routine knowing that you're under surveillance? Or does it even affect you? Are you just going for it as normal?
3: Well unfortunately as you can imagine i'm sure you must witness this in your own ministry when you speak out against injustice people start to target you so i've had to up my security um i've had to we have so many death threats that we've had to face and and we take them seriously even if we don't have to um just because i would like to live i don't want to be a martyr um And I don't want anyone in my family to be targeted. So we have had to adjust that. As I talk to people, as I counsel people, as I pray with them, I have to warn them that I don't know whether or not our conversations are confidential. I try not to make anyone who's already vulnerable more vulnerable. And so I have to warn them before we talk. Uh, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And all that is a burden on my ministry and it's part of, the suit that we're pursuing. Yeah,
1: yeah, especially in terms of the confidentiality. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a family?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Children? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that, you know, heightens the concern, doesn't it?
3: Right. I mean, I care much less about myself, but for of my course. husband and children, I don't want to say too much about them because I don't want them to sure. be targeted, but sure, sure. that matters. Um,
1: it's interesting to say you don't want to be a martyr. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes that goes against our ministries. People, for some reason, expect us to be martyrs. Uh, they don't quite understand that that's not actually a requirement. <laughs> 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 you know, uh, no, really. It's like, you know, he was nailed to the cross, so you got to be We wouldn't have it.
2: to. Yeah. And, but No, but they mm-hmm. think we're
1: supposed to be. Right. And, you know, frankly, we often are, metaphorically, aren't we? Right. Uh, but that's not really what the goal is. I mean, run up here and run up on a cross uh but but you're right that's the that's the that's sort of the paradox in it because it is a sacrifice we know Mm -hmm. it is life risking but when you're in service to others a lot of times it's not always thinking about even your well-being but the well-being of your congregants your family you have some responsibility it's really kind of irresponsible for you just to Vanish. You know what I mean.
3: Well, that's the whole point of pastor, right? Like, yeah, that's, it's, that's it's right. a pastoral that's term. That's yeah, exactly. Word. As a pastor, I'm an actual pastor with a flock, if you will. So it's my responsibility to protect them from the wolves who might be hanging around.
1: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. That, that's very, very important. Uh, tell us about this is this is fascinating, you know, and, I, and I and I appreciate your your courage, um, in all that you do with with your ministry. Tell us about your ministry and, and how you came to answer the call to ministry.
3: Well, my grandfather was a pastor. Okay. His name was Doc Edmonds in New Haven. He pastored Dixwell Avenue Congregational Church for approximately 50 years. And granddad was a civil rights leader. He led the sit-ins in Greensboro mm-hmm. when he was a chaplain at Bennett College. And he passed on that legacy to my mother, who was a SNCC organizer, uh, head of communications for them. Karen Spellman is her name. And my father was a revolutionary. And so all of that was imbued within me to have a very critical and loving orientation towards this country and a strong dedication to service. But I worked on Wall Street for years before I became a pastor. I worked in politics, and then God called me to the pulpit.
1: And so you were already working. I was on yeah. Wall Street, and, mm-hmm. and 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 you got the call.
3: I did. Yep. I started. I started my job at American Express where I worked at 20 years old. I had just finished University of Pennsylvania, studied uh, at Wharton, and came up to Wall Street and was having a great time enjoying my work <laughs> and then and then got making a lot of money. Uh no, I never made a lot of money, but okay. I made I was all right.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And then the call just And then came. the call
3: just intervened. Yeah.
1: Really? Mhm. And in in your call did it include uh, activist social justice ministry? Was that did you see that immediately? No,
3: I didn't see that immediately. I was initially called to more just to worship i really felt like i I, I wanted to lead worship or be part of the leadership of worship i'm a singer and so i just loved liturgy i loved the rituals and and i really got embedded in just pastoral life i did not have a particular activist ministry for probably the first five or six years of my my ministry
1: so even though your father was in the ministry grandfather grandfather, i'm sorry Mm -hmm. grandfather um and you knew him
3: Oh, yeah. We were best friends. And
1: so in, in being around him, you, you had never gotten a call before? Or at least you'd never, you never...
3: No. Okay. No, no. I, I wanted to make money. <laughs>
1: you wanted to make money?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so the activist part of the ministry, it came a few years later.
3: It came through people, honestly. Really? So through being a pastor and listening to their needs when somebody... When I was serving St. Peter's Lutheran Church at 54th and Lex, I was an associate pastor there, and one of the people we served who was part of our our breakfast program, Salim was his name, uh, came to me, and he was facing deportation, mm-hmm. and he couldn't find legal representation because he was poor, and also because he had a an arrest, and people didn't want to take him on. And so I just kept calling around and calling around. And that was how I discovered New Sanctuary, because New Sanctuary, back then especially, was like the final stop for people who needed support. Mm-hmm. And I was so impressed with the amount of care and love that went into supporting Saleem mm-hmm. that I was like, when they asked me if I would be willing to consider a leadership role, I, I was like, absolutely. And then. I've been doing this work ever since. So that's how I really got into activism.
1: You went to Divinity School? I did. Where did you go? Yale. Yale University. Mm-hmm. All right. How was that?
3: Amazing, but also very difficult because I was a classmate with everybody who had been religious studies majors oh, and yeah. knew way more about things than I did. So I had a lot of catch up to play.
1: And you did it, obviously. I guess. Yeah. Was Did you enjoy it, though? Even though it was- I
2: loved it.
1: I loved it. I'm actually
3: now the president of the alumni board for Yale Divinity School.
1: Congratulations. Thank you. Outstanding. Thank you. Now, you mentioned the Lutheran Church, so is that the denomination in which you still serve?
3: No, I I am ordained in the United Church of Christ, and Park Avenue Christian Church is both UCC, but it's also, which is new, it's the longest worshiping community of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ.
1: Okay. 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 is obviously your grandfather was, well, I presume, correct me if I'm wrong, he was exclusively in the black church experience. i I yes. take it. I take it. Mm-hmm. Um How does it feel to be amongst a more diverse denomination and congregation? I mean, not that there aren't African Americans in the UCC, but— it's not exclusively.
3: No, that's Martin. right. But my grandfather was a UCC minister. Okay. So he, um, Dixwell Avenue Congregational Church was the first black congregational church okay. founded um, out of that whole missionary society tradition. So I grew up in the UCC. I grew up in the black sure. church in the UCC. The UCC. My UCC. grandfather was a major, major leader. of. He founded the Commission for Racial Justice for the UCC. Everybody knew him. Um, so... I And my orientation as a pastor is as a womanist, and so our congregation expects that. We are diverse, for sure. I wouldn't say that we're a black church, but we we worship in English and Spanish. We we have a majority of people of color, and we tend to be, most of the people who come to worship with us are younger than I am. So it's a really interesting church.
1: And do you find in your congregation that it is a, a home and a, and a place where people want to hear and celebrate the gospel from a perspective of social justice and prophetic ministry?
3: That's always been the park's orientation. So yeah. even though we sit at 85th and Park Avenue and everybody's like, oh, wait, that's an Upper East Side church. Yeah. That's, yeah. Not, that's not who we are. They This was a church that was founded out of the Baptist Church, um, a church downtown, and wanted to have a much stronger abolitionist position. It's 208 years old. So they broke off from the Baptists and founded the Christian church as part of this broader Campbellite movement. And that's always been. They've always been on the forefront of many issues. And so back in the day, maybe around 10, 12 years ago, the church was having a hard time Ordaining gay clergy, for example, because they weren't making it through the conservative uh, other churches to get people to vote for our candidates. Mm -hmm. And that's when they joined the United Church of Christ.
2: Okay.
1: Um, And what about being a a woman pastor? Are there any particular challenges you have found in that role?
3: I I find being a woman to be a gift, much as I find being black to be a gift. Okay. So, uh, Clearly, it's a male-dominated world. I'm very comfortable in that.
2: You are. Mm-hmm. And, you,
1: and you you function within it. I guess. I mean, <laughs> <laughs>
3: in our congregation's 206-year history, they had never had a woman as their senior pastor, but now I'm really honored to fill that role that's and good. also happen to be a black woman. That's right. Well,
1: mm-hmm. that, that is amazing. That's that's history unto itself. So you've got the lawsuit going. Um, in the meantime, our are you able to continue that part of your ministry by going to the border or has that been arrested as well
3: well i did cross the border once i traveled with two partners from arnold and porter stanton jones and david gersh who are both you know incredible david used to run litigation for them he waited on one side of the border with the aclu in case anything came up uh, on call and Stanton crossed with, well, actually, we both crossed for a while, um, and then accompanied me to walk back after I had finished my ministry work for the day. That is not a sustainable model for how to do it. Um, they were there to protect me, to make sure mm-hmm. that I wouldn't be further harassed or intimidated. And I, part of what the lawsuit says is that this surveillance, detention, and interrogation has really chilled my ministry at the border and effectively ended it for the time being. I anticipate that the courts will make the right decisions mm-hmm. and that I'll be restored to status quo ante, which is how things were before. Right, right. But um, we are not there yet.
1: So what about the work of the new Sanctuary Coalition? You're still involved in that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, people who need that type of support and counsel and whatever they can come to New Sanctuary Coalition and get it.
3: That's right. We have a clinic every Tuesday at Judson Church, mm-hmm. which is at Washington Square South in Manhattan. Uh, congregation Beit Simchat Torah also has set up a satellite clinic in uh, Lower Manhattan, not far from here, actually. The CBST is very close. And so we have clinics and we can grow more clinics. And we really hope for people to come either wh- whether or not they need their own immigration support. And we have great, great, great lawyers who advise. But we also encourage people who want to be part of the movement to join our accompaniment program, to go with folks to immigration court, or if there are ICE raids, uh, which of course has been a big issue, right. to canvas the neighborhoods, make sure people know their rights. I'm so impressed with what happened in Sunset Park. Uh, Carlos, I went to Carlos Menchaca's office, Council Member Menchaca's office, and watched how all these canvas crews went out and just helped people to understand That if there are ICE raids, you don't have to answer your door. You need to see a judicial warrant and all those things. And ICE, even though they raided Sunset Park, were completely unsuccessful in arresting one because they didn't have the proper warrants. Mm -hmm. This is all it's all a sham.
2: Yeah.
1: A, a sham in the sense that without the warrants, they really can't do anything. Do we have? Well, any?
3: they can and they do, but they don't have a right to.
1: They don't have rights. Mm-hmm. So, do we do? Are is is many of these arrests actually happening though, or is that more
3: hype? It's a it's hype. It's hype for, I, you know I'm not going to comment on the politics of it, but I believe it's political hype.
1: You, you believe, it's, um, political hype on behalf of the president.
3: I don't talk about him. But (laughs) what I would say is (laughs) I don't. I really don't.
1: Um, Explain it. Talk to us about why you don't talk about him. What do you mean? How can you not talk about him? Everybody's talking about him.
3: Yeah. What I want to talk about is what's happening. I don't want to talk about people. Yeah, Yeah, because otherwise it dominates the news, and it just feeds into this whole cycle that ignores what's actually happening. And that's where my ministry is, is with people not with politicians who say things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's a distraction
1: yeah but and and i forgive me if this seems political you were doing your work in ministry mm-hmm. um before weren't you doing some of this were you doing this before he was president at all were you helping oh yeah <laughs> so 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 now you didn't have this happen before
3: You mean the interrogation and all that? No, that wasn't happening before. But we opposed Obama quite a bit, especially on immigration, because Obama was not, in my opinion, great on immigration. He deported so many people. So we were fighting the Obama administration. He was called called the deporter Deporter in chief. chief, Yeah.
1: But but do you think then that this interrogation that you faced um, is a result of a new administration? Yes. Okay.
3: Well, I was told as much by ICE. Yeah.
1: And how do you mean? What did they say?
3: Oh, well, when I was in a conversation with uh, someone, a major leader in the New York office, field office, he basically said things are different now. When I joined ICE, we weren't the Gestapo that we are now. It's all different. He used that word.
1: Okay. I, I think... My phone broke up when you said that. Could you repeat that? Uh, yep. The gesto- he said what now? The- <laughs> <laughs> we had bad reception. The what now?
3: Uh, so I met with a major leader of the, of the field office here in New York City who explained to me that many of the ICE officers who work with him feel that ICE was not the Gestapo it is now when they first joined. And, and so he used the word he Gestapo. word Gestapo. Yes.
1: Wow. Yeah. Did he even understand what he was saying?
3: Oh, he very much understood. He was he's a very smart man. I know him well. Okay. And I believe he has since left ICE.
1: You know the circumstances.
3: I don't, but I bet it's because he couldn't sleep at night. Most of these people can't. Really. Oh yeah. You know this. Yes. I talked to I talked to ICE officers a lot,
1: and what do they say? Are they ashamed or?
3: No, I wouldn't say that anyone feels or has expressed shame, but I think that I think they're they are try to be as careful as they can be, but they feel like they're in a very difficult position. They hate bad press. They hate what people say about them they uh feel like they're just doing their job and this you know new administration has put a different mandate on them and they don't necessarily feel like they know what options they have mm. to do except what they're told mm. and so that's why i often because they do have quite a bit of discretion and power part of my job is to inspire mm. their christian obligations because mm. almost all of them are catholic and and I would love for the Catholic Church to have their priests out there reminding them that Jesus was a refugee and an immigrant. But I don't know. I don't. The Pope has been wonderful, but I'm not sure what the cardinals are doing here in mm, the U.S. Mm. So,
1: most of them are Catholic.
3: Yes, most ICE officers, from my understanding, are Catholic.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder why that is.
3: Uh, I, I don't know. I, I could guess, but I think it has something to do with ethnicity and. Um, and who winds up in in these positions,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: like on police forces and so forth. Like there are lots and lots of Catholic police officers as well, but that's different.
1: So, so were you saying that you're okay. trying to in- inspire the Christianity in them? Um, obviously, then, you put yourself in a position to have contact with ICE officers that you can counsel and inspire. I try. Okay. Okay.
3: Yeah, we do have conversations.
1: Uh,
2: have you- we
3: anoint them. We, we have, for as long as I can remember, had Ash Wednesday services out in front of 26 Federal Plaza, which is where ICE is housed in New York City, in Manhattan. And we have imposed ashes on the field office director, on major enforcement and removals staff. I mean, I have personally done this for them. And this, in fact, has been documented in a really interesting article about how ICE has been surveilling New Sanctuary and a few other organizations, where we have emails where the field office director says, I'm gonna go down and get my ashes. Mm. So we have that relationship. Amazing. But uh, it's not enough, it's, it's not working. I, I would love to figure out how to change their hearts, and it's my prayer all the time. But it, it just, I fail. I failed to, we failed to fully change change the hearts, and that's where I pray for God's help.
1: Amen. Well, so th- let me ask you this, though. You, you said so much. Um, um, the, you mentioned Obama. Mm-hmm. So there's some who would argue that Obama was just as bad if if not worse than Trump when it comes to deportation. What's your response if if someone were to say that to you? Is that a fair criticism?
3: I think that it is appropriate to crit- critique this country's ridiculous and terrible immigration laws and their enforcement. What Obama wound up doing was trying to appease the folks who really wanted to strengthen the borders and deport more people by deporting people, by breaking up families. And it turned out to be a failed strategy. I hope he knows that. But one of the things that he did failed, do- Failed how? It failed because we didn't get so-called comprehensive immigration oh, right, reform. Right, we right. didn't get to permanently protect the Dreamers or right. to protect TPS and so forth. But the thing, one example, was that he enforced what they called or offered prosecutorial discretion, which allowed prosecutors to deprioritize people who were in families or who had no criminal backgrounds or who were community leaders and had obviously turned their lives around and were really contributing. So for a long time, people were able to live here without being deported, and that was a big part of what we did with New Sanctuary was to protect people that way and to... Evoke pro- prosecutorial discretion. My understanding is that this administration has completely rolled that back, so mm-hmm. that everybody is just to be removed.
1: Yeah, yeah, w- without any. Discretion. So
3: that's a that's a concrete way that it's quite different.
1: I see. Um, so while this lawsuit is taking place, while the surveillance is going on, you again are going about. Your work in ministry as best you can.
3: Oh yeah, I mean I'm still loving and following Jesus, and yeah. <laughs> you know, and ministering to New Yorkers, including migrants.
1: I had Marilyn on my live show the other day, mm-hmm. uh, who works with New Sanctuaries, you know, and I said something to her, and uh, she's Jewish, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and it, myself having been in dialogue in an, you know, ecumenical way with Jewish leaders, and we don't always agree on everything. And and one thing is I found that, you know, when I can, I, I can talk about my experience as an African American and the the experience of slavery and its vestiges, mm-hmm. but other groups at times are offended when you invoked the, invoke their oppression. You know, some people feel they have license. So I was on television the other night, and I did anyway, I said I apologize to my Jewish friends. Mm. But I have a hard time separating this these current raids or threatened raids and all this stuff is going on from what happened when uh, uh, Jewish children refugees were denied entry into the United States during World War II. I have a hard time seeing the difference between you know, Nazis going door to door what's happening here and I said that to Meryl, and she comforted me and said I was absolutely right (laughs) she agreed with me (laughs) so we both might get in trouble but she even took a step further because you and and that's why I was so my interest was so peaked even more when you said Gestapo she said to me on the air that and she said she prayed about it thought about it and did her own research to make sure she was making an accurate statement she said what is happening uh, at the border, with people being caged, are the same as concentration camps, and she posted a photograph of you know Nazis looking at men in cages in concentration camps, and Pence, and I guess Lindsey Graham and whoever looking at men in cages along the border. I mean, she so she didn't delineate either. Would would you?
3: No, I think it's all part of a continuum, and I think that there, just as we look at many different moments in U.S. and European history, worldwide history, there often is a series of steps that leads towards authoritarian regime rule. Mm-hmm. And and I think that we might be, probably are, in one of those series of steps. And one of the places where we see that happening is is the tamping down of political dissidents, the caging of a particular vulnerable group right. to rile up a particular uh, base community so that they can revile them. And right. and my hope is that we will not, as a country, allow that to turn into extermination. And I, so I think the question will be, will we let this happen? Right. And I think the answer, I believe and hope and pray that the answer is no.
1: Um. Is it? Do you find it as interesting as I do, or as troubling as I do that the nation that elected the first African American president, and frankly elected the first woman, except for the cheating, she won. Oh. Uh, <laughs> do you find it interesting that you know it, it, all of this other stuff is going on? And it seems like it's the country's moving backwards with all of this. To use your term, with your terms, with someone trying to revile others into hating other people. I mean, it's just, how do we go from there in reverse?
3: Well, it's very curious to me that many of the people who I think are taking us into authoritarianism also evoke Jesus and Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where religious leaders have to figure out how much we're going to tolerate with that as well. Because... I don't understand how you get to call yourself a Christian and watch somebody in a cage who has not even committed a crime, who is there legally, but probably has credible asylum claims and just watch and stare blankly because I remember Matthew 25 and Jesus says, right. you can you know, for I was in prison you came to visit me and they're like, when did we do that? And he's <laughs> like, well, <laughs> if you didn't, then you're doing this to me, yeah. you know, whatever yeah. you do to the least of these, you do it to me. And, and... I don't know. I don't know if these folks have read Matthew twenty-five.
1: Yeah, either that or they just ignore it.
3: I don't know how you get to ignore Jesus and and call yourself a Christian. And and I think part of what we have been so weak on is reminding people that there could be eternal consequences to these choices they're making. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Their souls are in peril. The soul mm-hmm. of the nation is very clearly in peril. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm
1: it is interesting that they they invoke so much religion and faith and seem to almost have a public monopoly on it you know we are the you know true believers or the true followers and it, based upon what we've been what we've read and been taught and what is literally um i mean there's no other way to interpret it you know i was in prison and you visited me I don't know how many, you can't really parse that to mean anything else. Right. <laughs> that's kind of, that's, that language is not ambiguous.
2: Yeah.
1: I was hungry and you fed me. I mm-hmm. was naked. That is really not ambiguous language. No. So, your ministry, and, and it's, and, you know, I, when when I had these conversations, I, I mean, I like to talk to people about themselves, not just the issues, but mm-hmm. about you as a person, Um You obviously are continuing your ministry, even though you're facing this challenge, but um, where else do you see your ministry going?
3: Oh, I mean, I I love my congregation, and I just look forward to serving New Yorkers and to continuing to speak publicly and hoping to inspire a moral awakening in the country. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big piece of what I'm called to right now. And if my story, if my case could build some sort of unlikely alliance between some, like, for example, the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints has reached out to me mm. be- because of my case. I don't know who, like, where they are, the person is in the leadership, but they're very interested in thinking through how we protect all kinds of religious freedom. Because lots of people should be worried when the government is telling you who you get to pray for.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that, that's 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 very very true. Well, um, appreciate you.
3: I appreciate you a, and
1: all you do, Thank and you. Um, look forward to hearing more of you. And and one of the things like you mentioned, moral awakening. Rem Barber, I think, and that's you know yes. obviously why we all have been able to meet and come together. Mm-hmm. I think if there's any space now where that's happening, he's created that space.
3: Yep, and there are lots of other people who can we don't want to have only men be the leaders of this we don't only want you know we we need to have a lot of voices uh, who represent a lot of different positions and so i think we don't we also don't want to put him in a position where he has to be everywhere because mm. this should be a huge movement of religious leaders stepping up and speaking out we can't put it all on him
1: All right. Where can people find you and New Sanctuary Coalition and get involved if they want?
3: Yes. So you can find me at Park Avenue Christian, spelled all the way out, dot com. And on Facebook and Twitter, I'm at Kaji Dosha, K-A-J-I-D-O-U-S-A. And... I encourage people to come and worship with us on Sundays at the corner of 85th and Park or online where we stream. We have an amazing worship experience, so people should come, and your spirit will be lifted, and hopefully you'll hear the gospel preached. New Sanctuary can be found. I especially encourage people to come for our Tuesday clinic and volunteer or come and seek some help, and that is at Judson Memorial Church at Washington Square South.
1: Uh, when when Meryl was here the other day from New Sanctuary, you know, I asked her how listeners could participate, uh, and she said sometimes it's just as simple as as checking on your neighbor, you That's know, great. and asking if they're okay, being sure that they know their rights, mm-hmm. um, and what have you. So, folks, everybody can do something in this particular situation. We know, you know, we're not all. Just called to be spectators. We can be actively involved. Check on folk around you and make sure that they're okay, that they feel safe, that they feel protected. Um, there are know your rights. Pamphlets everywhere. Yes, you can just Google that and let people know what their rights are, uh, and help them to uh, to understand that. So. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. wonderful. Uh, I'll come. I'll come visit the congregation Please sometime. Do. I love. To, I love to do that. Thank you for coming to see us here. Thank you. On Make It Plain, and folks, um, you can also check out the live daily show every day uh, here at Daily News from the Resistance Studios. Go to Make dot com to subscribe to the live daily show. My very special guest has been Reverend and Pastor Kaji Dosha. It's an honor to have her here. We'll be hearing more from her, and please keep her lifted up in your prayers, and I will always keep you lifted up in mine. If all minds are clear, it has been made plain.